Welcome back, everybody. You are tuned into Absi Connects Podcast Pause. We have a fantastic episode for you today, something new that we tried. So please do let us know if you liked this something new or if it should become something old and we throw this idea out. <laughs> but I think it works quite well and um, I'm hopeful that you'll enjoy it. So what we did is I recorded with two folks for this episode, but recorded with them separately. So first I recorded with Brandy Old, who works at the University of Lethbridge, and she shared her story and journey of being a part of a group that was indigenizing the campus grounds at UofL. And she graciously shared the fizzles she had along the way of this journey. And so after I recorded with Brandy, I sent that draft over to Michelle Hogue, who is a colleague of Brandy's at the University of Lethbridge and who knows her quite well and knew about the project. I think she even had her fingers in the project a little bit too, and gave her some time to just mull over the story that Brandy shared and then recorded her response to that and what her take and perspective and thoughts were um, on the project and the story that Brandy shared. So once I did that, I combined the two of them together and you now have a 45 minute episode of Brandy and Michelle. Hello and welcome to the Absi Connect podcast pause. It's great to have you here, Brandy. And uh, how are you doing on this lovely Thursday morning that we were just talking about? <laughs> or afternoon. It's afternoon. Oh my goodness. That's where my Thursday at. That's all right. It's uh, Groundhog Day and Groundhog Time whenever. So it's five o'clock every day somewhere, right? No. <laughs> um, it's really good to be here and I'm excited to uh, join you for the podcast. Awesome. Well, to get started, I'll have you introduce yourself, um, who you are and what you do. Perfect. So, Oki, I'm Brandy Old, and I work at the University of Lethbridge running a program called Agility, and it is mm -hmm. all about experiential learning. So the systems that I work in is really around education, and I focus particularly on experiential learning. And really what that's all about is learning by doing through hands-on application and reflection. So mm -hmm. my whole gamut is about getting our university students out beyond the classroom into the quote unquote real world so that they can apply what they do in meaningful ways. And my whole focus is around being innovative and community based. And I teach a lot about social entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. That's like my favorite form of learning, <laughs> experiential learning. <laughs> Me too. It's just way more fun. It is. And you actually get to do something, right? I know yeah. I wrote so many essays in university and it's boring. So it's nice to be able to do something that actually goes out to the community yeah. with all that energy you have when you're like 21. Super cool. Well, I'm very excited to have you on the show. And I know we're going to be chatting about um, some of your work with indigenizing the campus grounds at U of L um, and how some parts of that fizzled and then led to a sizzle. So we'll get into that. And, and um, it's grounded on a technique of the Social Innovation Canada curriculum. So if you don't mind just chatting a bit about the technique, um, then we'll get into the story piece of it. Yeah, you bet. So the technique that we're really looking at today is the Reconciliation Community Action Toolkit that talks about how to plan your own events. Okay, so jumping in here for context, Social Innovation Canada, or SI Canada, um, is an organization that is really connecting the larger social innovation ecosystem across Canada. Um, and they are in the process of putting together a social innovation curriculum full of incredible resources about how to use different social innovation techniques, learning pieces, and so forth. And so before I chatted with Brandy, I asked her if she could connect her story to one of the pieces found in the draft curriculum, which she did, which was awesome. So she's going to share some information about what this tool is that she connected it to. Um, and so the curriculum isn't out to the public yet, um, but be sure to subscribe to the AMSI Connect newsletter on our website, and you'll be one of the first to know when it's released and ready for use. Back to Brandy. And when I kind of went through the resource, I saw it more as a call to action kind of put forth by Reconciliation Canada that encourages any Canadian to get involved in reconciliation in their community by hosting an event. And it's great to see that there's resources like this coming up because uh, I'm going to tell you about some of the fizzles and the stumbles I had to go through to try to work my way through this. And 
to even have, you know, a quick four pager that outlines some things you should think about before you get going is incremental in moving forward with this work. And so what mm -hmm. this toolkit really does is it outlines the importance of why these kind of events need to be hosted, as long as like seeding some ideas for you. So maybe you're just kind of thinking, man, it would be really great to have something like this in my community, but I don't really have an idea. So they've kind of led you down some roads and paths to get you going, as well as giving you some of those important reminders, including important people that should be invited to the event, like your MLAs and your MPs, because we know that mm -hmm. our governments are really pushing to be involved in this type of space as well. Um, I really look at this as a wonderful starter kit for everyone um, that wants to get engaged. So whether you're just thinking about it, um, if it's an event or even a project. So the project that I'm working on is more of a large scale kind of continuous thing, but this also really lends itself nicely into just talking about how we start building relationships and opening ourselves up for awareness. Mm -hmm. And I just love the timing of this podcast too, Elise, because we're in the middle of Indigenous Awareness Week right now at the U of L. And I was just in an event yesterday that a couple of students oh, put on. Cool. Yeah. And they talked about, um, you know, what does reconciliation mean to you? And a lot of mm -hmm. the folks in the webinar were talking about just the conversations like this. The fact that we're talking about it now and we're acknowledging mm -hmm. our past so that we can move forward in our future uh, together mm -hmm. is really, really powerful. And just that message of hope and acceptance was phenomenal so it's really really imperative i think you know to set that frame is when we go about taking that risk to move into reconciliation it it is complicated it is a lot of work and it can be uh, very dark at times but we all have the right intentions of moving forward and as long as you're willing to open and accept new ways of thinking and just being a part of the community is really a great way to get started so toolkits like this are just imperative to, to getting regular day citizens involved mm -hmm. in this type of work and, and helping us understand what we can do on the ground now that we've heard about the technique and what it's centered on do you mind sharing your story of how what all happened um for you as you were going about this process you bet. So the first thing I'm going to put the caveat on is this project started in 2017. So this was before this resource was even probably thought about. Uh, <laughs> and I would have loved to have something like this. So it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it is when you're going out and starting out to do this work, you know, I look back and reflect over the last three and a half years and I go, wow, what I would give to learn what I didn't know yeah. when I started. Um, and tools like this are just so important for that. Mm -hmm. So the project that I'm going to talk about is called the Aniskum Campus Ecology Project. And to set some context for you, uh, the University of Lethbridge is in the territory of the Blackfoot peoples, which is home to five First Nations. So we have the peoples of Gena, Siksika, Bigani, Sutina, mm -hmm. and the Stony Nakoda nations that all are represented within this space. And we often reference it as Treaty 7 territory. And if you've never been to Lethbridge, um, the U of L is a really interesting building because it's literally built into the coolies. So it's this like long concrete building that is nestled right in the coolies and sits alongside the Old Man River. And it's actually um, is named after Napi, who is the creator of Earth and All its Inhabitants. So we've got a really spectacular location of where the U of L is and just the coolies and the, we have deer and it's just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And so really the goal of the project was to revitalize our campus grounds with traditional indigenous plants while creating a space for the community to learn about Blackfoot culture, traditions and land practices. Mm -hmm. And this all kind of came about um, because we started on a journey of trying to understand what it was that our community at the U of L really wanted to see happen. And so we started talking to faculty and they all said, you know, we need something that really speaks to the fact that we live on Blackfoot territory. So when they talked about reconciliation through the form of projects on campus, a lot of our faculty talked about creating a garden space that was right smack dab central to campus grounds. So any person that came to the U of L had to walk past this garden and was reminded that the U of L is nestled on Blackfoot territory. 
And there's mm-hmm. actually a lot of universities and projects that are really similar to this across Canada. So if anyone that's listening ever wants to learn about it, just do a quick search online because there's tons of phenomenal projects that are happening. And um, Mm -hmm. one actually that inspired us kind of getting going after we heard from our community was the Tewusht Garden at UBC. And they are really focused on working with the Indigenous community as far as gardening and food insecurity as well. So it's a really neat way to move forward. And as I started digging up all of this information, finding all these cool projects to do some links into and talking to more faculty, um, I was directed towards a book called Buffalo Bird Woman's Garden. And what it is, is it's an anthropologist that followed a woman um, from the Hidatsa tribe and recounts all of her gardening techniques down to the songs she sang and the recipes that she made with the food she cooked. And we actually had an individual on campus who was using um, this technique to grow her own garden. So she said, you know, it's phenomenal, the gardening techniques. Uh, Her garden actually ended up taking over like other plots because it just grew so crazily. And so we were like, this is perfect. We've got the most wonderful tool. We can use this for teaching at gardens, you know. People can take it and go. There's outreach. There's so many different ways that we can utilize this resource. And we kept kind of looking through all of these different ways. And I came up to a faculty member who does a lot of teaching in our Indigenous studies. And her first question that she asked me was, have you talked to any of the leaders and knowledge keepers from the Blackfoot Nations yet? And I had to say no, because I hadn't gone that far. And I was sent away with some homework. I had to go try to find out who to get a hold of. And as I went through this work, I, we connected out to an individual that does environmental reclamation with the Blackfoot Nations. And he said, you know what, I'm going to talk to my environmental consultants and see what I can do. And with his connection, we were able to invite 23 environmental consultants to come to campus uh, to hear about our project so that we had representation across all five nations. And we get into this giant boardroom. Me and my director are so excited. You know, we finally got 23 people from different nations together. We found a date and time that works, you know, back Mm -hmm. in the day when we actually had to drive and get to places. (laughs) And we wanted to really facilitate a conversation. So my director opened up the conversation, talked about what we had as an idea for a project and just kind of laid it out on the table and said, all right, what are your thoughts? What can we do? Mm -hmm. And... I'm kind of sitting there with bated breath, getting ready to go. And all of a sudden, we just get this crash course about the land. And I learned about the story of Napi and the way that the Blackfeet people engaged with the land over their histories. Mm -hmm. And every single consultant around the room started telling us all of these stories. And then they looked at us and they said, you know, not a single one of us garden. And you want to put a garden on campus to acknowledge our culture. And it just smacked me in the face. And I thought, wow, like what a way to colonize a tradition and a culture. And here I am with the best of intentions, doing what I think is right. And going through that lived experience was really tough because I was coming at this from an angle of going like, I'm so excited. I'm, you know, going down this path of reconciliation. And I felt like I got hit by a fire truck. It really just, I can't even, it was devastating. (laughs) But the thing is, is this group of people um, are really intelligent and they're so uh, connected to their land. And one of the things that they shared is they said, well, you know, we're stewards of the land and we care about the environment. Um, We don't garden, we never have, but we do use our land and we, you know, have a connection to it in a certain way. And we do have some struggles. And that was when I learned about the story of the buffalo. And we don't have buffalo on our prairies anymore. And they kind of put a challenge in front of us and they said, well, our prairie lands and our plants are disappearing. And we need a way to solve that problem because we don't have access to the plants we used to. And a lot of it's because our buffalo are gone. And I learned about the fact that prairies 
rely on buffaloes. They traveled in packs. They traveled across all of our grasslands and they carried native seeds with them on their fur. Mm -hmm. And now that we don't have them roaming anymore, trotting on all the invasive plants that, you know, their roots grow faster than our, you know, native plants do. They're not spreading the seeds and traveling the way that, you know, our ecosystems work together. Our natural plants are really struggling. And that was a need and that was a problem that really came to be. Mm -hmm. And then they pointed out something else to me and they said, you know, this is great that you have a book, <laughs> but uh, what tribe is it from? Mm -hmm. And we said, oh, it's the Hadatsa. And it was something that was just, again, such a simple oversight for us that we just thought, I'm like, I know that the Hadatsa aren't in this territory. They're not a part of the treaty. They're not anyone that's been invited to this table. And we're expecting to be able to represent a completely different culture than what it is here that we have. Right. And so when I think about, you know, connecting even this early stage bit about wanting to do some gardening and, and you know, the very simple idea of, of connecting plants and land and people together um, mm -hmm. to this social innovation stuff and these techniques and tools that are available. It's really important that we pick a good topic that is needed by the community and is identified by the mm -hmm. community. And the wonderful thing about it is they are here to have a conversation. So in, you know, those two hours that we had in that room, not only did I learn probably more than I ever would have, uh, you know, spending weeks looking through articles and mm -hmm. trying to talk to the wrong people, but I learned a lot about their spirit and, and just their willingness to come to the table. And it really flipped the way I looked at approaching this project. Right. So I had to learn very early on that it is not me that is leading this project. It is me that is a steward of this project. And we need to make sure that we're solving the problems of the community and it is in need as well. Mm -hmm. And what ended up coming out of that was something that was so much cooler. You know, we had this idea of one kind of, you know, event of, you know, let's get this garden built. It's going to be, you know, one big thing. We'll do it over a summer and then we've got something longstanding. And they said, well, that's not how we do things. Uh, we do things continually. And one of the really big issues, again, with urban locations was that they couldn't pick traditional plants. So things like mint and sage are like now becoming coveted little spaces and people aren't even sharing where they find them anymore because it's so hard to find them mm -hmm. that our, you know, urban communities don't have the ability to access these plants for their ceremonies and traditional practices like they used to. And environmental stewardship is so important. Um, and it's critical at this stage because if we don't save our land, the cultures and the practices of, of what the land was Four are, are gone as well. Mm -hmm. And so we left this meeting with this idea of totally revamping what we're doing and trying to repair the lands that our campus sits on. And it is a lot larger than we had anticipated, um, but it is much more meaningful. And so this original idea of a garden that was definitely a fizzle quickly budded and grew into a really, really beautiful idea uh, mm -hmm. that has a lot of potential, but takes a lot of work. <laughs> right. And again, they gave us some wonderful homework to walk away with. And they said, you know, okay, we're environmental consultants, but you need to talk to the leaders of our community as well. So you need to get in front of some elders. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing about working at a university is we have a program called Elder in Residence. So we actually have elders come to the university um, to provide guidance and a safe place to talk for anyone in the community, whether it's a student, staff, mm -hmm. faculty, Indigenous, non-Indigenous. Uh, we have elders from our community that come right to us. Mm -hmm. And so we went out to go meet uh, Corolla Cafrobe who is a phenomenal elder of the Gana tribe. And I don't think I've ever been more nervous about meeting someone in my life. <laughs> she was a phenomenal medicine woman and her knowledge about land and plants is just, I don't even, yeah, I wasn't even aware an individual could have so much knowledge inside of one brain. <laughs> and 
it's a tough meeting to get ready to go to when you're not used to talking to a person of that stature in a community that you're not really familiar with. Yeah, definitely. And we do have policies and protocols on campus about going to talk to elders. And in our protocols, we have to bring a gift of tobacco anytime we want to go speak to an elder. And it's really just a gift-giving culture. And the point of it is, is to say thank you for taking time to talk with us um, and share your knowledge. And so I was tasked with going to buy this tobacco, which seems like a really small, easy thing to do. And I walk into a gas station and I look at this wall of tobacco products in front of me. And this, you know, poor little gas attendant asked me like, well, like what kind of tobacco are you looking for? And I'm just looking at this going, I don't know. <laughs> do I buy cigarettes? Do I buy loose tobacco? What kind do I buy? And I just really realized I was unprepared. So I said, you know, I have to come back later. And I left and I did what any, you know, brand new grad from university would do. And I hit my computer and started researching. I was looking up all of this information best I could online to try to find out like, what kind of tobacco do you give? Mm -hmm. And I came across just like so many different types of information. There was nothing that was related to my geography. There's stuff that talked about the Anishinaabe and even the Lakotas down across the border. And I really got hung up on like, okay, I know that this isn't necessarily the same as what we would do with a Blackfeet, but this is the best I can do. And I kept seeing all of this information about getting sacred tobacco that's been prayed over and putting it in proper bundles and different things like that. And I'm thinking, oh man, I've got a lot of learning to do. And so I go out and I buy some loose tobacco and I buy a red bandana and some twine. And I'm thinking, okay, I can't like get this sanctioned and I can't have you know anybody pray over this yet because I'm definitely not a part of the community, but I'm going to do my best. Right. So I take this tobacco, I wrap it up, I put all of my love and care into this bundle and as I get ready for this meeting and I go with my director, we're carrying our notebooks, I've got my little packet of tobacco and we have our coffees with us and we go to the Indigenous Centre where Corolla is. And as we're sitting down to talk to her, I give her this piece of tobacco and she kind of looks at it in her hand and she opens it and she looks at it quizzically. And then she slowly turns up and looks at me and she says, I smoke tobacco. I don't chew it. What am I supposed to do with this? Oh no. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was sweating. I nope. just like, I've never been so terrified in my life. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it wasn't even like a, you know, she was really direct. And I love Corolla for that. That is her mm -hmm. type. And then she just laughs. <laughs> and she just puts it down and she says, next time you come to visit me, bring me coffee. I see oh. you have coffee here. I love coffee. That is a gift that I would be totally prepared to have. Mm -hmm. And I just was immediately relieved, mm -hmm. still horrified, but relieved that, you know, after such a misstep, she was so lighthearted about it. And I mean, really, any individual in the community I've talked to um, from the Blood Tribe, their, their humor is spectacular, and they know how to diffuse tense situations. So I had to learn right away not to take things too seriously. Um, you know, the preparation for the garden meeting, we took way too seriously. My meeting with Corolla, I took way too seriously. And, you know, she she spent the next two hours talking to me, you know, despite that my gift was garbage. Oh. She was just still so helpful uh, for us. And she really guided us along the ways of our thinking. Mm -hmm. She shared with us, uh, you know, like, this is how gifts work in our culture. This is why we give tobacco. Tobacco is important because it's how we say thank you. And those things aren't necessarily always expressed in our documents that we have with policies and procedures and protocols, mm -hmm. uh, because it is, I think, almost impossible, I would say, to capture a culture in a word. I don't mm -hmm. know if we can translate the way that people feel and communicate and relate to one another in written word. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn that. 
I had to learn that, you know, it's something that, you know, there's all of this, you know, political push for reconciliation. And sometimes I definitely had a wall put up. I was afraid to learn because I was afraid to make mistakes. I was afraid to fizzle. It was important, right? When you have an entire community telling you you need to do something around reconciliation, that's a mm -hmm. big deal and you don't want to fail at it. And you just have to be okay with it. You have to be okay with not knowing. And, you know, you might have the best intent to put on, you know, the most amazing event or whatever you're going to do. And you just have to be prepared for it to be completely backwards. And, you know, you can get away with it <laughs> uh, in a sense. And I think, you know, the reason why this really stuck out to me is, I mean, I, I walked past it. I didn't look back. We had students getting involved in the project. You know, we moved forward. It was wonderful. I learned about the gifts Corolla liked to receive. I went and visited her often. And then I was at an event last year mm -hmm. and I was speaking with a Blackfoot woman who started to tell me this story. And she starts to giggle. And she says, oh, you know, I remember Corolla telling me about this one time this white woman came with a tiny bit of tobacco and a red bandana. Isn't that silly? Can you believe that? <laughs> and my face went from just like really being excited to hear this funny story to just sitting back and looking at her stone face and yeah. saying, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and we burst out into laughter and had a great conversation. Uh, but you know, like those things carry on and you have to be okay with that. And it was something that she looked at me. She said, no, there's no way that could have been you. And I said, uh, that was definitely me. <laughs> so you can learn and, you know, just being okay with that level of making those mistakes and putting yourself out there, I think is so important when you're thinking about starting something like this. Um, you know, the event itself might be the pinnacle of, you know, what you're trying to reach, but there's a journey you have to go through. You have to go through your own level of reconciliation as you're working towards putting these plans together. Yeah. And that was something that, you know, I really wish someone had told me about before I got started. I think it would have been a lot easier on myself um, as far as, you know, how that all went down. <laughs> Definitely. Well, oh my goodness. I would just want to say thank you for being being vulnerable and open to sharing your story and the challenges that you went through and the lessons that you learned. And, um, and when we're, when we're starting at like ground zero and we don't know something about when we know nothing about a certain topic or thing that we're going into, like we're at ground zero, we're, we're doing the best that we can at researching. I'm the same as you. The first thing I do, it's like, just hit, hit Google up. Like, what is this? You know, anytime I'm learning something new and so when we're at ground zero, we start building our knowledge base and we don't always know if like what we're finding is accurate or, or right. Like, is this a trustworthy resource or information? Like, I don't know because I don't know anything about this topic. And so we're going about it the best that we can. Um, and like, we're bound to have mistakes because if we don't, like, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And so we're bound to have mistakes. And I think that the, the true innovation part of making those mistakes is, innovation part and and just like the human part of it is, is accepting and acknowledging like I made that mistake I know this is not how it's supposed to be now and I will remedy my actions for the next time right like that's the innovation that's just the human side of it of of just being better essentially right like trying to think of some fancy way to say it but really just like being better is is knowing that yeah I made that mistake I learned my lesson it wasn't my proudest moment or, or the best moment um but uh, but we're moving past it and we're learning from it, right? Yes, I am. I'm a big proponent of what I like to call failing forward, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, it's inevitable when we're learning something new, like, how are you not going to fail at least some part of it? If you know, there's always going to be some part that doesn't work or you don't didn't know about until afterwards. So it's just part of part of learning new things. It's so true. And I think, you know, as adults, uh, we really get stuck into uh, being successful, right? Mm -hmm. And we get used to playing in the spaces we're used to playing in. And we forget what it's like to try something new. So we either, you know, shy away from it or, or we just ignore it. And, you know, one of the best exercises that you can do to remind yourself of that is just take a pen and grab a piece of paper and with your non-dominant hand, try to write your name. <laughs> Yeah. And rem 
it is, it's hard. <laughs> it reminds, it reminds you of the struggle mm-hmm. of what it's like to learn something new and keeping that, you know, mindset and frame of, of being like a child and being curious is so important when you're going through this work, because you have to be prepared to do things that aren't going to look the most pretty and maybe aren't something you're comfortable with doing, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that it's worthwhile. Yeah. I was having a conversation with one of my friends um, the other day about growth mindsets. Uh, She works with kids and just what you were talking about totally reminds me of that, of being like, yeah, I can't do that yet, right? It's like, I could do that, but I just can't do it yet. And so it's that piece of like acknowledging, I don't have those skills, but I can get there. So that's like that growth mindset piece of I, I can do it. I just can't do it yet. And that's what we lose a lot as adults is we think, oh, I haven't done this my whole life. I can't do it. But it's like, have you ever tried it? Like, you could do it. You just have to try it and, and learn it. And, um, and yeah, we forget that as adults that we're still learning. Yes. And, and, you know, we, we have to keep that mindset and, and remember we have a duty to continue to learn, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the call for reconciliation is. hundred percent. Is it's not to become the expert. It's not to know everything, but it's to be open to learn. Wow. I feel like that's just like a perfect way to end it. <laughs> is on that note (laughs) yeah absolutely you already answered all my questions you already answered what advice would you give to yourself go back in time what stood out to you like um yeah just incredible you're a fabulous storyteller I was just captivated the whole time I was like I don't even want to say anything because I'm just I don't want to interrupt (laughs) I took a master's class in it so glad that paid off (laughs) that makes a lot of sense because it's like wow she just like she's got this going man this is such a good story and now I know now I know why (laughs) Uh, see learning pays off look at that prime example it does eventually I mean we hope right (laughs) at some point I hope it pays off (laughs) perfect yeah wonderful well thank you again huge thank you for taking time to record the episode with me and share your story and and chat and had a laugh and and um sharing your your lessons learned right because that's um our lessons learned come from our experiences and so if if folks haven't experienced something similar to what you've gone through this is a way of them capturing some of those lessons and hopefully maybe then they'll have if folks hear this and haven't haven't experienced what you've gone through then maybe it'll give them some insight going into the experience of it and that's really what I hope right I mean we know that this is important work and it's the hardest step is taking that first step and I know how terrifying that chasm can be so yeah the best thing you can do is just ask get out ask put yourself out there and be okay to laugh at yourself because you're going to look silly you're going to be that kid riding a bike for the first time without training wheels and you just got to be okay with that Mm -hmm. words of wisdom from brandy old So a huge thank you to Brandy for sharing her story and her journey. And now I will cut over to the conversation I had with Michelle. And we just got right into conversation. And I forgot to ask her to introduce herself until the very end of our conversation when I had to backtrack um, and asked her to introduce herself. So here is Michelle sharing who she is and what she does. I'm Michelle Hogue. I am an associate professor and the coordinator of the Indigenous Student Success Cohort Program at the University of Lethbridge. Um, my roots are Cree Métis from St. Boniface, Manitoba on my, grand, on my paternal side. So my grandfather is Cree Métis from St. Boniface. My grandmother is Cree from Northern Saskatchewan. So my heritage is Cree Métis from Saskatchewan. And I am a guest in Blackfoot Territory and have been for about 30 years now. Um, and my work is about enabling Indigenous um, academic success um, in, in a way. Of, so I work in the space of bridging cultures and the philosophical approach that I take is, you know, two-eyed seeing for both ways knowing. Um, mm-hmm. And my work um, is both in Canada and in Australia. So a very similar program and, um, and community in Australia. So I had the great opportunity of, of bridging across the equator as well and bringing Indigenous peoples from Australia into the Canadian space and, and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Incredible. We'll have to do an episode just with you if you're open to it about talking about that collaboration <laughs> of like Alberta, Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have a call, a couple of colleagues. We could do it by Zoom. Mm-hmm. 
So what are your initial thoughts and reactions to the story that Brandy shared? One of the things I, I thought um, that Brandy um, brought forward was, you know, the blunders that um, people make in the Indigenous space and, and sort of the fear around that. And I think that that's a really important um, point because what prevents a lot of people, non-Indigenous peoples, from engaging in this Indigenous space is the fact that, you know, we've heard so many of the stories of residential school and, and all of the challenges that have have arisen as a result of that. And so, and then of course, the outcomes of the TRC. So many people, non-Indigenous, are kind of scared of getting it wrong, mm-hmm. right? And I think that probably the one thing that Brandy talked about really nicely and, and shared her story about getting it wrong, if you want, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better word. And there, there really is an elder of mine often says, there's no, there's no mistakes, there's just ignorance. Um, um, and not accountability. And I think those are really important things to, we can expand on those in a bit. But, um, you know, sort of coming at a, a place of trying to learn from innocence is different than coming from a place of trying to assume you know everything about mm-hmm. something and imposing your thoughts and processes on that. Um, and I think that was the grace that um, Brandy brings to the table is that, you know, she honestly came with this idea of. Uh, you know, establishing a garden. She was very excited about it, um, but not um, really understanding the space and what that means. Um, I had to laugh when she said she Googled about, um, and I and I remember some of these conversations back when she was having, when she was beginning this, but, um, you know, about Googling how to do tobacco. Um, and uh, and I do remember her coming to that, that meeting with these little red pouches and, and uh, kind of wondering, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go down. Um, <laughs> um, and I do, um, I, I know Elder Carolla, uh, the late Elder Carolla, and I could just envision, as Brandy was telling this story, and she's a very good storyteller, mm-hmm. um, I could just envision Carolla's face and Carolla trying to not laugh. <laughs> As Brandy is giving her this tobacco, um, because I know Corolla is uh, uh, was uh, a smoker, and um, and I actually have a photo of her uh, smoking outside um, University Hall under the "Do Not Smoke" sign. <laughs> um, um, but she very much was about smoking, and I remember one time too, um, just as Brandy. Um, giving her tobacco in a different form in a pouch. And she mm-hmm. said, well, I'm all fine and dandy, but how am I supposed to, as she said to Brandy, I'm not a chewer, I'm a smoker. So could, next time, could you give me some papers and some matches? <laughs> and so in the same same light, um, you know, Brandy kind of coming to the realization that, um, oops, but also the grace of Indigenous peoples. And I think that's the one mm-hmm. thing that um, is really important is that you know, many Indigenous peoples, elders in particular, um, are willing to work with you, to educate you, if you want to call it that, um, but to just invite you into the Indigenous space. Um, but you have to be a willing participant and willing to learn. And it's not a one-off. Um, and I think so many non-Indigenous peoples who are in the Indigenous space or want to be in the Indigenous space, as, as you often hear, don't understand that it's a commitment. Um, the commitment to understanding and to learning and to growing and to um, coming to be a participant in that space um, for a long time, um, for the rest of your um, your life, really, if you're mm-hmm. committed to it. And it's, so it's not a one-off. It's not about, and I think that's the difference between Western ways of doing things um, and an Indigenous engagement. Indigenous engagement is about relationship. And being in that space and learning in that space, that's why we share a meal always. That's why we often visit. That's why um, when you go to visit uh, an Indigenous elder, for example, you don't block off 20 minutes. You know, that fits my calendar because that's not going to work. Um, It's about taking the time to build the relationship and develop that. And I think Brandy in her story comes around to that and, and talks about that. Um, that it is about relationships and that it's about a continual uh, learning in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, As you'd mentioned, yeah, Brandy is such a phenomenal storyteller. And so she really mm-hmm. captivated me as she was sharing the story of like all these journeys that, that went along and all of these learnings. And you're totally right. It, and 
in everything that she said, I could see that too, that it came from this place of innocence of this place of, I want to learn this and I'm doing my best and, but I didn't do this right. And so now I'm learning it this way and kind of, and, and can use the word modifying as, as she went right. Um, of that learning piece. Well, and I, th I think, like, as I said, I, I did mention about Googling how to do it. And I was like, in my mind, I just thought, why didn't you just ask an elder? Or why didn't you just ask somebody how you would approach an elder instead of Googling it? You know, that was kind of my my own reaction, right? You know, yeah. um, and uh, but Google, you know, it's certainly a first resort. But but that's what people people do um, to try and understand. And so it is a good starting point. But really, I think mm -hmm. in, in any space like this, you really do have to go to the source, right? Right. And so that's either the people themselves, the knowledge holders, um, or um, the elders. And so, for example, you know, if you want to connect with a particular elder, you want some, um, perhaps some advice, or just even to visit with that elder, you might you might want to talk to somebody who can make that introduction for you, or who can tell you how to go about doing that, um, rather than googling it, um, yeah. as as a, as a resort. And so, those are the kinds of things. So it really is about building those relationships and taking the time to build them. And part of this Western Eurocentric environment that we're in, there isn't a lot of space to do that. And so in inviting Indigenous uh, ways of knowing and learning into this Eurocentric, this Western space, it's going to require a shift um, of, of people in this space um, to think about how they go about engaging differently. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important uh, uh, I think learning thing that many many people are beginning to learn. I think um, uh, true allies are um, you know come to the space with an honest heart as Brandy is, and then want to take the time to make sure that they get it right. And if they don't get it right, um, try to go back and um, and learn how to get it right rather than just like sweep it under the rug and move on, which often happens as well. Mm -hmm. One of the thoughts that I had had when I was recording with Brandy um, that I was going to ask you was what what your take is on the fear of fizzling, and I feel like you just answered that of like don't be afraid don't be afraid to fizzle, right? Like it's part of the journey. Yeah, and and I think it's really important. Um, you know, it's like riding a bicycle, right? When we get on the bicycle, we fall off many, many, many times until we have you know the balance and and we have the understanding of how all of that works. Um, right. Um, and but we get up and get going again, and and I think you know when you work in community, and and I'm I'm a Métis person from Saskatchewan, uh, not from here, and historically, uh, Cree and Métis or Cree and uh, Blackfoot are, are kind of antagonistic. Um, so you know when I moved to Alberta, you know a lot of my friends were like, oh, you better be careful. It's never been that. Um, I've never been more welcome to a community than I have to the Blackfoot community. Um, you know, they're always willing to share knowledge and to help you learn um, how to be and how to work within the community. Um, um, if you're willing to, you know, participate in an ethical way. And so it's always been a great gift for me. Um, and I've been doing, I've been working in this space for a long time. Um, you know, so um, when we talk about allies, I often hear and I think about this a lot, you know, we hear about allies being non-Indigenous, but you can be an ally from, you can have um, allies within community, right? You know, um, you as a non-Indigenous person, um, or non-Blackfoot in my case, um, have the allyship of the Blackfeet people if they're welcoming you into community and if you are there with an honest heart and a way of being. And so allies work in a lot of different spaces. And I think when we talk about allyship, I think we need to think about it in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that open heart. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Open heart, open mind, right? Um, and I think I think you have to come at it from not a place of judgment, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes you hear people saying, well, in this is the way we do it in, okay, well, that is the way that you do it. Um, mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily translate or, or fit here. And so you have to be able to um, put that here and leave it and be willing to um, to embrace something different. I, I work in the space of two-eyed seeing for both ways knowing. And two-eyed seeing is, you know, elders Albert and Regina Marshall of Eskasoni First Nation and Dr. Cheryl Bartlett. to so see with one eye through an Indigenous lens and the other through a Western lens. But that depth mm -hmm. of field that you get from using two eyes, you need to have both. And that and that's what informs, informs that 
that depth of field or that good vision if you want so that you're not stumbling right mm-hmm. but in australia they call that both ways and so you know the work that that i do in the space that i work in is two-eyed seeing for both ways knowing um so it's about sharing that knowledge um and we're not always going to get it right indigenous people aren't always going to get the western right and we as as um you know non non-indigenous in this space um are not going to get it right either. So we have to have that space, that that middle space where we can have those conversations, um, that liminal space of possibility. What what each of us brings to that space and share that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there has to be room for the uniqueness too, right? You know, so right. we have to be able to have you know indigenous ways and non-indigenous ways as their own entities. And then what we have in the middle is what we can share and, and learn from each other. And I think those are important things to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. And that middle space is such an interesting, I mean, it's just an interesting space, right? Because I think that that's where things can go really well, or things can go bad in a sense, right? Like it's, it's, like you said, it's coming to that space with an open heart and an open mind, and being to have those conversations and really learn from it. I keep, keep making like a circle with my hands. (laughs) I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyways, um, yeah, that middle space. And that's, I, like you said, just such a key component. It's like the center of the Venn diagrams coming together. Right. And your circle is actually very um, metaphoric because the work that I do, I, we always talk about the medicine wheel, but in the, in the indigenous paradigm, you know, in the Western paradigms, everything is linear, right? Start to finish. And if you don't get to the finish line, then you haven't succeeded or something's mm-hmm. gone wrong. Um, so you haven't completed whatever task it is that you need to do. You often think about, you know, school, for example, if you start and you don't get to the end, then you don't pass the course or the or the grade or whatever it may be for lack of a better word so or lack of a metaphor um, but in the indigenous paradigm we don't think that way you know it is about each time around you learn something more right you know and so sometimes you don't you don't learn much the first time around or the second or the third and so we think about it in terms of the medicine wheel uh, refers to many different things i use it to refer to the seasons you know spring mm-hmm. summer fall and winter so what is it we want to know how are we going to go about doing that and what do, what benefits or what are the results of that? And then what did we learn that we can take into the next season, the next time around? And each and every time around, you learn something more. And so when Brad talks about the continual relationship, it is about that. She didn't get it right the first time. She didn't get it right the second time, but she started mm-hmm. to get it right. And each and every time she got it more right, for lack of a better word, or, or mm-hmm. you know, there's not really a right or a wrong. It's just a more... Uh, more effective response or way of being, um, mm-hmm. and but she was open to being criticized as well. And I think you have to, you have to be that as well because so often in the Western system, in particular, we get defensive, right? Um, because we're we're we don't want to be criticized. We also don't want to be embarrassed if we've made a mistake. And she talks about living with the embarrassment of that. <laughs> and she talks about about the story where it's brought up in a different conversation about somebody yeah. told somebody about, oh, about this girl who did. Yeah. And so you have to be able to live with the uncomfortableness of it, right? You know, like be uncomfortable and sit with that um, yeah. and realize that it's not personal um, because it isn't. Um, it's about learning and and being in a relationship. I mean, if you go on attack, of course, then it is personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you're doing that, you shouldn't be in that space. And if you don't want to learn, then you shouldn't be in that space either. And that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, there's not a requirement or an expectation that everybody needs to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, at least in my mind, I think, you know, if you don't want to be in that space, you shouldn't be in that space because you're going to be more of a detriment and cause more problems um, than you are going to be a benefit. Yeah. There was this um, group that I'm a part of. um, And one of the fellows in that space always says, if you're not learning or if you're not contributing, contributing then get out of the circle because then there isn't right. Like you're not providing, you're not getting anything from it. So why are you there? Right. And it, it seems kind of harsh at first, but it's like, yeah, if you're in a space where you're not feeling like you're learning anything or contributing, then you're just taking space from somebody else who could, who could do one of, or both of those things. Right. Or, um, and, and there's, it's no fault against that person. I think people often feel like, oh, well, if I leave, then I'm going to be seen as it's not, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It, you know, um, it's more ethical and honest to do that. Yeah. Um, than it is to be there and, and, you know, be an imposter or pretend to be something that you're not, you know, um, you don't, it's not for everybody and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just like I'm a long distance runner, 
it's not for everybody. <laughs> you know, a lot of people tell me, are you nuts? You know, and, well, probably to them I am. It's running isn't for everybody, right? So being in the Indigenous space isn't for everybody either. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And the other piece too that I wanted to add to what you just said of like, it's okay if we're not all jumping into the same circles, but then when we aren't doing that, there still needs to be that level of respect there too. Absolutely. Right. Of like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a part of that circle, but I still respect your circle and I'm still allowing and holding space for you to be there. Right. And, and respecting people who are also doing that work. Right. So, mm-hmm. or being in that space, because you may not want to be in that space, but that's okay. But to criticize somebody else who wants to be in that space is not right, right? Cool. You know, like everybody is an individual in their own right. And, and we all, you know, it might be that too, you know, you, you, you jump out of that space for a while because it's not fitting with the way that you are. But that doesn't mean that that's not going to, that that's not going to shift somewhere down the road. And so mm-hmm. you want to keep open that, that mindset or that way of thinking that, well, yeah, not right now, but maybe later. Um, mm-hmm. Because that may change. You never know. Um, you know, something might come along that changes the way that you think about something and you might want to then learn more about that. Um, and so, um, just being open to the possibility of change, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Wow. I feel like I have learned so much from chatting with you in these 19 (laughs) 19 minutes and 15 seconds. (laughs) Is that how long it's been? Yeah, it feels like it's only been five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Well, that is just so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom and taking the time to record with me today. Anytime. And if you need anything more, just let me know. Okay, awesome. I will. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of Pause. Um, as always, I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. So please let me know on your favorite listening platform share a review, give us a rating, um, and share with your friends if, if you think they'd be interested in hearing a bit more about social innovation, what that world is. It's kind of an ambiguous one to try and explain, so <laughs> it's always easier with an example, that's for sure. And in the spirit of reconciliation, I'd like to acknowledge that the places we live in, work from, record podcasts from, are situated on lands that were until relatively recently cared for exclusively by Indigenous people. We acknowledge the past, present, and future generations of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit who have traditionally gathered in and cared for our land. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on this show who has a sizzle or fizzle or a combination of the two story of um, social innovation, please let us know. We'd love to have you. I hope you all have a fabulous rest of your day, afternoon, evening, weekend, wherever you're at listening to this episode. Have a good one. Thank you.